Welcome to the Ether. Today is Sunday, October 30th, 2022. Today on the Ether, the Y Foundry DAO weekly space building in Web3. Let's take a listen. It must be a quiet Sunday morning. Well, my time anyway. Probably daylight savings time for some of us. And then, uh, yeah, it's an interesting day. It's Halloween. Day of the dead here. Yeah, that's right. Which is like bigger than Christmas. They have a huge parade, fireworks, procession, all this stuff at the at the national capital. Yeah, I definitely want to participate and visit that at some point in my life. Um, it's pretty awesome. We're doing some stuff here ahead of Halloween, but yeah, nothing like that. This is like uh, grown-up Halloween. <laughs> like you go around and uh, the the flower for David Dead is the marigold, and so everything is covered in gold colored, you know, like marigold colored flowers. Uh, there's shrines at everybody's houses with food and games and all that stuff set up with the relatives that have passed away. So it's a big big deal. Pretty much every public uh, space there's altars to the dead and and flowers and and tapestries and everybody's painted up so oh yeah and everybody goes to the uh pantheon the the tombs and put stuff on the graves of all the relatives as well yeah my wife has actually gotten really big into ancestry and started to print off you know pictures and work she wants to put together a day of the dead sort of um, display. I think she was planning to do that before this week or yeah, before this year, but didn't quite pan out, but I know she's been working on it. It's something we don't do here. I mean, like (laughs) I feel a little disconnected from relatives and whatnot. And I know me personally in my family, like it was, I mean, I barely saw my grandparents and then it was just, you know, those in my immediate household pretty much. Yeah. The the United States has this huge denial issue of like, they're amazing in so many ways, but they're so contradictory. There's a, there's a massive denial of death, a massive, massive avoidance of even having conversations about death. Um, I remember there was that excellent book I read probably 20 years ago called how, what is it? How we die. I think it was written by a doctor that was a little helpful, but definitely out of made a lot of people uncomfortable to even have that book. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing more and more stuff pop up, which I'm super interested in, but the science of longevity and, you know, how you can live long enough to live forever sort of stuff, you know, that has been springing up um, on my feed 
and probably you know how it is the algorithms i probably watched a couple of videos and now i'm just getting hammered with it but you you watched some joe rogan videos where he's taking (laughs) medicine (laughs) absolutely not uh, I have watched some, some, but for this, I, I think I did. Actually, I did watch a piece of one interview, but it was not the first one. Um, I heard of David Sinclair's book, um, Lifespan. I actually have that book and was reading. And then I just listened to some interviews from him and it just kind of kicked it off. Um, Lewis Howes and some other like interviewers interviewing different people on the subject. Yeah, come on. Joe Rogan is awesome. He's got, you know, if you ever wanted to listen oh, to it, you get really curious about something. That's the way to do it. Hey, Marco. Yeah, Marco, feel free to request uh, speaking if you want to come up. We're just hanging out a little bit and we'll just start talking about what we talk about, but would appreciate your perspective. No pressure. So I'm trying uh, Twitter through Bluestacks again. Um, and you guys are, it, it sounds all right this time. Yeah, it does. I'm going to have to do that. Um, I, it's unbelievable to me that you don't have a desktop option. That would make things so simpler. I'm, I'm rolling with multiple phones at times to get some of these spaces going and joining and stuff. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, so those of you, like Marco, I, think, I guess would be the only one. If you don't know about Bluestacks, it's a it's an emulation engine uh, basically to emulate Android or run Android in a, in a virtualized environment. It's not even an emulator, but it's running Android in a virtualized environment in uh, other operating systems. So you can run Twitter and connect and talk on Twitter through the uh, Twitter app, which is installed in the Android app on the BlueStacks app running on a virtual machine hypervisor layer. Basically, you can use your nice desktop microphone instead of having to talk through your speakerphone on your phone if you want to be in space. It's, it's funny. It shows that exact moment for you to um, cut out a little bit when you're talking about the nice microphone, but that could have just been Twitter itself. Who knows? I think I just missed up a uh, lost part of um, desktop earlier, and that's why I couldn't request, but uh, I think you just said something about BlueStack being able to use your microphone. Yeah, with BlueStacks, you actually run it on a PC or Linux, and then um, I think you run it on Mac too, but you run it, and then you can use your USB microphone from your desktop. You don't have to be on your phone. Sounds uh, pretty interesting. I don't know why uh, Twitter still hasn't implemented it yet. Yeah, it's been a while since uh, I've talked to you guys. How's it going on the uh, coding? Yeah, things are going good. Um, a lot of work. I know Ray has been up to his neck in both kind of tracking, you know, development and all the testing, which you've been very involved with, but then also um, the documentation and just promoting and partnerships. And it's all coming to a head very soon. So super exciting. Yeah, we've just been uh, migrating all of our internal technical documentation that we that was used to kind of create and formulate and, and develop the, the technical implementation and 
converting that into public documentation now. So that'll be available with everything being open source. So people should be able to start looking at that and get an idea of how the code works and integrate with the code uh, or you know, join and develop uh, additional functionality for the contracts. And we just migrated the website to Node 18 and did some updates with the React packages uh, and pushed that forward yesterday um, as part of the documentation. So now we've got documentation on how anyone can deploy Y foundries, uh, web apps, and we'll just keep building out that documentation. So I think uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, we really want to go, you know, well, I don't say we, but the intention is if, if we're a DAO, that we go ahead and actually be decentralized. Yeah, I mean, a lot of thought has been put into not just the way that things are structured and built, but also the long-term incentives, the long-term sustainability of the project, the community. Uh, I think it's why it's critical to keep pulling in those you know, talented builders, um, let's evangelize within the cosmos because, um, I mean, we're getting closer and closer and getting that talent, you know, interested, at least, you know, aware of what's going on and what the capabilities are because it's really, I see this as kind of a builder cooperative, you know, owned by the builders and it's a tool that they can leverage to, you know, fund projects, to build, to get work. Um, this whole sort of ecosystem that is uh, being started here. It's exciting. Hey, on the concept of virtualization, just not to, not to change the subject, happy to continue to talk about uh, YFD, but um, there's been several projects I've heard, like internet computer, this sort of like computing on the web, and I guess for YFD, when you're talking about like a true implementation of uh, smart contracts, or at least moving that direction where there's actually, you know, a lot of on-chain actions and composability and interactivity. I think it maybe it's a stretch to say like, hey, this is an, an online computer at this point, or uh, on, you know, a um, internet computer, but curious what uh, you guys have spent any time thinking about you know, Web3, some of those efforts or tracking any of those efforts. It's kind of interesting stuff. I'm talking about BlueStacks. I mean, that's what made me think of it. Like, is there something there or is it just uh, one of those, hey, it doesn't quite make as much sense, at least where we're at now. And um, maybe there's certain elements that are useful, like uh, IPFS, but the kind of full like <laughs> blockchain doesn't need to be everything, especially at this point. Um, that's kind of where I'm feeling about it. But well, maybe you can ask your question in a in a different way. I mean, uh, is there another way you could phrase that? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, is there value in having on chain computing? um some of those uh projects or have you been following those like when you mean on-chain computing you mean um like solving math problems on chain or or what exactly do you mean 
Yeah, I mean, I think essentially on-chain, like, virtualization of different um, actions. It was a project a while back. I can't, can't remember what they were called, but they were looking at, like, having sort of on the blockchain a container of code that um, could exist in perpetuity separate from an underlying like protocol layer. So like right now you do like I, I was around I, I was like coding in Flash and had stuff in Flash and when that was deprecated, it's like, okay, obviously all that stuff doesn't work anymore. You know, that we move forward. You HTML four to HTML five. But um there was a project in Web three and I cannot remember the name of it, but it was looking at like could you have essentially kind of containers of code where you're accessing that and the browser would access it and it will, will always work forever as a self-contained sort of like infrastructure and it would be connectable to everything else, but it's not um, dependent on a lot of underlying like things that could be updated to break it. Um, and it kind of makes me think of some of the stuff that we've talked about Ray with like, starting to get into some like smart contracts doing other things like calculating you know the the math like you said and just smarter contracts essentially yeah i think i mean everything is kind of going over time you know into like a synergistic way into a into a singularity i mean there's you, you don't want the complicated things becomes like you don't want technology languages to become Swiss army knives because they just get inefficient in everything. And so I think like we're in a accelerated process of evolution of the, of technology itself in the sense that, I mean, people used to use, uh, I don't want to go back to RPG and, and COBOL and stuff, but you have advancements in the technology to be able to do computations. And then you have advancements in human understanding i mean zero proofs in terms of cryptography is is very new uh, and so i mean i think you're always going to have iterations of things moving forward and things getting left behind so of course you can still play nintendo games right through a web browse web browser in an emulator and so yeah those things are always going to exist but it there's just a natural human evolution to move things forward and to increase efficiency and utility and also to try things that that don't work like flash i mean that was we have a lot of reasons why we can say that that didn't that's not a was not a great option long term oh yeah as someone who used it i'm not definitely not romanticizing the flash era compared to options today but i mean i think it's i'm part of why i'm excited about cosmos is the whole app chain concept you know could you get it's kind of similar to what I was just talking about in a way where you could have different chains have their own special purpose, their own special code base, um, you know, whether it's open, whether it's closed, whatever, their own mix of um, essentially possibilities. And as long as there are these fundamental options to connect with other chains, other apps really easily, I think you're, 
getting closer and closer to that. You don't have to have a one size fits all approach, right? Yeah, I think optimally what you want is you want a very solid, stable, fundamental layer to incorporate and plug things into. And then you want to take the risks and spread out and make the the innovative development modular on top of that and not really, you know, unless you need to overhaul the, the foundation, you know, the development should or could be happening on the outside layers rather than, you know, at the at the core of it. And I think when, you know, the way we built out uh, for YFD, the way we built out the forge is that the forge smart contract handles the deposits and handles like uh, basically a, a registry of all of the interactions um, involved in the protocol itself. And then the actual functionality uh, in terms of uh, like you're interacting with NFTs or you're doing claims or deposits or uh, working with the vaults, those things are actually run as secondary modular contracts. So we're able to upgrade uh, we or the community DAO, whatever, is able to modify, upgrade and enhance and continue to develop functionality for different components uh, without having to overhaul the entire core contract every time. Yeah, absolutely. And then you think of implementation like multi-chain, you don't necessarily have to have one-for-one one copies of everything for every new place where, you know, it shows up. Yeah, that's true, too. Um, there, it, it'll be interesting to see how all this stuff ties together and interacts with. I was talking with uh, another guy. Um, I don't know if he's in here. If he is, and he wants to come up and talk about what he's been working on. But we were talking about Y Foundry uh, and basically how the community escrow system works in it. Um, and what that allows you to essentially do is let's say you had a, we'll use a real world example, right? Let's say you had a, a business where you were making um, uh, Christmas wreaths. Is that something, is that a common thing we could use? We can use farm examples as well. Uh, let's, let's say you had a co-op farm, right? And you were going to grow vegetables for the year but you had upfront seed costs that you needed. And right now these farm co-ops and things, what they'll do is they'll, I can't remember the name that they call it. Maybe you remember the name, but basically you pay in and you get a subscription for the year and they deliver you vegetables, right? Throughout the year. You remember what those are called? I do not. Okay. I know well, yeah. So you have like a, you have like a farm, like there's somebody who's got a, a farm and they're going to grow vegetables and you're going to get a distribution of those vegetables every year, or I'm sorry, every year, every month or every couple months. So what people could do rather than paying that subscription directly in cash, because some of these things don't work, some of them, you know, people disappear, whatever, is you actually could pay using Y Foundry to escrow those funds into a and instead of having a quote-unquote developer you actually the developer role is filled by the farmer so you have the consumer front running front paying for the the farmer to develop the crops and then the nfts are your claim contract to be able to get a piece of that vegetable farm or beef farm or whatever and if there were other options like let's say you know, sometimes the, the cow, right? Some of the cows, if you're paying for a bunch of cows, 
some of those cows will be used as breeders. Some of them might be milkers. So there might be other utility. They don't actually get slaughtered. So you could profit share on that breeding action for horses, cows, whatever, farm livestock, by using the NFTs as proof of ownership. So essentially, you know, the community could actually drive farms to produce crops that the community wants to actually consume. It could be like there's a huge orange shortage or there's a, you know, there's a demand for almonds or avocados, right? So you can have farmers be incentivized, basically have their uh, expenses covered through the community and then the community profit shares on the uh, market sale of those goods. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no shortage of examples outside of like traditionally what we've seen so far with Web3 of those sort of capabilities that guaranteed like democratized, decentralized, advanced funding capabilities, as well as like shared ownership of that and, and combine that with the escrow functionality, the ability to claw back if necessary. Um, if if uh, someone's not meeting the you know the the actual roadmap or their milestones or whatever we you know whatever you want to call it, I think that's powerful for sure. There's a lot of applications for that that we haven't explored. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a. I think I think it's a high level of utility, um, and we've narrowly you know assessed the scope to be decentralized finance, but. At the core of what Y Foundry is doing is it's essentially allowing two parties who don't know each other to be able to put funds in one place and trust each other without having to actually trust each other. Yeah, and allow community to vote on it, um, you know, review things, vote on the decisions. What do you think, Marco? Sorry, what? <laughs> there would be a quiz, man. <laughs> yeah, it's just because uh, it's it's all in English and it, it's a bit over my head to uh, to comprehend <laughs> the thing that's being said. I want I wanted to talk to Marco at some point about um, having a Web three pet store. So so I know he's got some awesome stuff to say about about that but i don't know are you do you still are you still involved with that marco yeah still uh selling uh spiders <laughs> yeah i mean I've, I've talked to some people that are interested in i mean there's just a world of opportunity outside of who's in web3 right now for just better options to fund their businesses and whatnot like um I have a family member who wants to open up a comic book store. I don't think it's a stretch to say like, hey, you could get some funding, maybe attach something like a NFT collection or um, like an like a, a web comic or something that could be pretty cool. And then, you know, attach that to the, you know, as a attach it to the kind of smart contract or the um, shares of ownership. And get some advanced. I mean, there's stuff to figure out there as far as legality and how that would work out in different jurisdictions. But it's a lot of potential there. I think in the near near term, like obviously, like NFT projects, DeFi gaming projects. I mean, I think that's you know kind of a no brainer. 
You mean like a GoFundMe page, but like with with benefits for uh, the funders as well? Exactly. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I think exactly. You imagine like a the the concept of a GoFundMe, but it also has some elements of um, kind of startup, like crowdfunded startup investing. Um, you know, with with long term benefits to being one of the one of the members of that, like you, spinning up these like mini DAOs associated with these projects and ownership of them. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there, but uh, the legality is is going to be another thing indeed. The legality in in what sense? like um depending on what you uh promise the 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 people who fund you uh yeah i don't know in different countries there are different uh economical laws about it or just legal business stuff yeah i think in general just investor sort of regulations right um specifics there that have to be mindful of yeah and and i guess we're hoping that in in terms of that issue to a degree we're hoping that some of i don't mean to keep turning this back on to the y foundry stuff but that's some of the issue we've talked about is that you know devs don't deliver kind of things so how are you going to actually hold all the parties accountable um you know without making it something that impacts the ability for the people to actually deliver the things they're promising to deliver. So, you know, one of the things, and this is what's going to be available at launch here is that there'll be milestone payments, you know, for uh, projects that utilize Y Foundry's system. So if you want to develop something, um, you know, the, the community that's funding it can agree to compensate you everything up front if they want or everything at the end or along a payment plan and then the um you know the community that funds the project actually gets to look at the progress that's being made and choose every time whether or not to actually continue to fund the the, uh, the progress so if people aren't delivering on milestones um you know the maybe there's some money lost but there won't be all the money dumped into it and nothing produced i don't know if we if we're looking if there's a better solution or a better iteration of it i mean we definitely want to go in that direction but just to start you know not handing over all the funds but in good faith assuming that they should get all the funds you know we're having a, a mechanism in place that essentially allows people to say yeah the progress is going as it was promised. We've seen it. So we'll continue to provide more money or no, it's not. So we need to wait until we actually get the things we paid for before we release any more funds. Yeah. I mean, I think it rewards those projects that consistently deliver on the roadmap. I and mean, we've seen how much, how, how much macro environment and like chain sort of stuff can really like cripple certain projects and then there's some projects that like no matter what they retool they figure out those teams figure out how to deliver i'm just imagining a world where 
you know, that's, you know, they're very, you know, they're rewarded for that. Um, it's, it's definitely, you know, weighted in their favor if you're consistently delivering according to those milestones that roadmap, um, as opposed to it's the same weight essentially as another project that does, he just releases maybe the first thing or uh, like a, a pitch deck and gets the same sort of like, you know, funding the same sort of, you know, like on, on, uh, on paper value as another team that is very different behind the scenes of what they're actually able to do and deliver on. Yeah. And I think, you know, it keeps people more honest with their deliverables. So set the expectations lower and deliver every time. I think will be a better outcome all the way around. Yeah, ask my wife. I'm great about the low expectations part. <laughs> I live up to that. Or down to it, whichever way you want to look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's, yeah. Depends on how low they are, I guess. So, um, we can we can keep moving this stuff around. Do we want to talk about? I, I think it'd be useful just to talk about if anybody saw the Eric, uh, what is it, Voris and um, Sam Bankman Fried debate that happened last Friday. I saw a few clips from it that I really appreciated. Uh, anybody else who wants to step up, um, feel free to request if you want to come join the conversation. Yeah, I think speaking of that conversation, it's very interesting to see. I'm obviously on one side of that argument, and I would like to. I mean, I can understand. I can steel man the other the other side of the argument. My side would be no regulation on that, in the sense that the smart contracts are the regulation. Um, and Sam seemed to argue, which I think it's a, it would be nice if he would acknowledge that he has a personal motivation, I think to, in terms of profit, to make it as expensive and complicated for anyone else to engage in the space. Uh, you know, because basically what he's advocating for or what he was advocating for at the time was that essentially every DeFi website would require a license to operate uh, or engage with people in the United States. And I think we're talking about uh, easily tens of thousands of dollars to acquire one of these licenses and who know, and the slippery slope. Oh, and, and they also need to KYC anybody who utilizes the website from the United States. And it's very interesting that they're not, the incentive isn't to go after the protocols at the contract level, like looking to leave the the contracts, right? And the protocols uh, as they are implemented on chain uh, to be open, but then also to essentially demonize people who develop a way to interact with them. It's going to, it would completely kill any momentum, you know, for, the ecosystem to actually grow and innovate because you'd have all this technology in the back end that the regular person isn't going to figure out. It'd be like saying that, you know, all the car parts, you can build your own car, right? Or you can interact. That's not even a good example, but that if you were going to buy anything that was fully assembled or that was presented to you in a consumable way, 
everybody needs to like present their identification to interact with it is, is insane. I, I think the, the argument that Eric put forth about email that's gotten a lot of traction, you know, is a really good argument that, so anybody can ex email exchanges between servers should be free and unregulated. But then if you want to use an email program like Outlook or Gmail, you'd have to KYC so that they would be able to figure out who was interacting with who. I mean, it's a, it's a great, great overreach in terms of financial freedom and, and liberty. And I have to say, I agree with Eric in that these are things I don't think we should compromise on in, in DeFi. Um, especially in DeFi, but in blockchain in general, we should not be KYCing. We don't need to. It's trustless. Yeah, I mean, it's really philosophically. What are you looking at? Um, you know, kind of the comparison between the financial freedom and you know just freedom of information. I mean, what is money? I mean, it, it is information to a certain extent i mean it's just a shared agreement on a mechanism to transfer value a replacement of your time a store of value um i mean when you start adding in these complications not to mention the fact that like i don't i honestly don't think it's going to halt the space at all it'll or you know maybe it'll be a step back for certain builders and certain geographies but the space as a whole like it's just going to um, it's just going to be bad for those jurisdictions that push for some of this stuff. Um, I, I think it will, you know, hold back certain certain people in certain areas, but the space as a whole will move on, you know, and those that are most disenfranchised by the current system will be working in other places of the world to, you know, reap all the value of the new, you know, infrastructure that's being built. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty disgusting power play by Sam to I mean, the, the blatant question is, is if the U.S. is the place to be right to operate a business, then why are you operating out of the Bahamas? So you're already like abusicating your liability and responsibility because you're not even the laws aren't applicable to you that you're looking to have applied to others. So beyond th that as well is. This is another, you see it in every industry. You have somebody rise up, gain power, gain uh, market share, which is FTX, and then essentially spend tons of money to have legal restrictions put in place that allow, that essentially restrict the ability for anyone else to grow in the marketplace or even compete with them. It's going to increase the, the cost of entry into the marketplace by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. You're not going to have a another sushi swap ever um you know if uniswap did this kind of activity with regulation when they develop market share yeah i mean it's no different than any of the other kind of gatekeeping that happens with power um like uh, accredited investors and i mean just i mean numerous other examples but yeah i agree with you um and i'm definitely not saying that absolutely no regulation should be in place especially you know no no sort of um protections against the smaller people that get scammed and you know ability to crack down on bad actors like i think that's a totally separate thing 
Yeah. And like, I mean, to Eric's point as well is those things are already illegal. It's like saying, well, you know, we, we need to have more laws about something. It's like, well, the laws already there. If you defraud somebody and you actually, you know, I, you, you actually are found to have defrauded somebody in a legal proceeding, there's, there's consequences of that now. So it's not like there isn't regulation as it stands. Um, it's not Wild West. It, it, there's some very loose and sloppy contract code. I, I think we're seeing conversations going on with Jackal uh, protocol, which just launched right now. I don't know if anybody here has more insight. I just woke up to starting to catch the drama with what's going on with Jackal protocol, putting keys on um, the public blockchain, but somehow making them private and some other weird stuff in the code. I've been looking for actual code examples, but I haven't gone through it yet. Um, if anybody knows about what's going on with that. No, I haven't checked up on that one. Yeah. I mean, I just think that's to your point of like, this is, I don't know. It's just strange. Cause in some ways I think if you have a, if you had a basic level of education from those who like new people that enter the space, like that's the thing that I'm most concerned about is how easy it is for you to get in there and just get screwed over. Cause somebody DMS you directly on discord and shares a PDF with you that then compromises your MetaMask or whatever, or, or just like puts up a proposal, you know, a spam proposal that has a link on it. You click on the link thinking it's something legitimate and you're getting something free. And then all of a sudden you lose, you know, your access to the little bit of crypto that you have. Um, but I think in some ways, like some of this, I, I don't know. I just don't get it. It's like, it's easier to track. Everything's on chain. So, I mean, not saying it's easy. Like, you know, if they're smart, smart scammers are going to figure out ways to hide their tracks, you know, but I think in general, like that's the way it is in the rest of the world, you know, with money laundering and whatnot. And there's so many options to, you know, currently scam people outside of web three. It's no different except for the fact that you have a better paper trail that you can tie into. If you have talented people that can do that, I, I think it's actually a better situation than, what you're dealing with with cash in general. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's accountability on, on chain. I, I just think that we, I don't think it's in our best interest to recognize the authority of the United States over financial matters in, in DeFi when it's a global marketplace. It's not, it, yeah, if the U.S. wants to restrict U.S. people, then that's their business and sucks to be people who live in that space because you're going to be living in the Stone Age where these monolithic corporations that are too big to fail that wreck the economy every 10 years get to write how you get to, you know, as, as Sam said, buy a bagel. It, we need to move beyond this and put things into the actual contracts themselves and make those contracts open source so that anybody can look at the material and realize that this is a fair transaction that's being represented clearly. We don't even have that level of access into the current financial system. So I really think it's a failure 
of the innovative space if we allow this financial system that operates in a black box, launders hundreds of millions of dollars uh, now to try to write the rules for something that's actually transparent. Uh, right now, if you get rugged by a contract, it's like you can see the rugging. I mean, if, if your contracts are open source and we don't have that uh, in the existing financial system. So again, I, I don't think it makes sense to let the regulatory bodies that already have a corrupt system attempt to make malleable, if that's the word I want to use, or change the, the transparent nature of blockchain into the same tiered access system that they have now. I mean, I think as, as it gets bigger and bigger, um, I mean, I think there's already acknowledgement that, you know, you're hearing more and more about it in, you know, sort of government, like, conversations it's more than just the national discourse you're hearing more and more about it i think there's going to be further and further acknowledgement that hey these concepts this technology is not on the fringe you know it's actually going to be a core fundamental of what we need going forward um and i think the, i mean the existing power structure is going to do everything it can to try to change the rules or adapt things to keep some measure of like, hey, we, we still have, you know, benefit from this. We still have control over this. Because like in a lot of cases, institutions are blocked out right now because of regulation, because of um, a lack of ability to for them to invest the same way that, a, you know, small retail investor can. You know, they have a lot more restrictions on that, that, I mean, for the first time in modern human history, maybe human history, the small retail investor, the, the the little guy, has the advantage over the big corporations and the big institutions, where they have to maybe get in through, you know, proxies. You know, the the micro strategies or the, um, you know, maybe a company that is on chain that is related to blockchain or a company that has shares that's related to blockchain. So I, I think it's all just it's pretty. When you just back up and look at it i mean it, from sam's point of view as a as a potential like aspiring monopoly of sorts um and then um the institution's point of view about like protecting their status i, I think it makes sense what they're doing it definitely is not where we need to go and what we need to be fighting against I mean, just let, let them make uh, CBDCs and just be done with it then if that's what we're doing, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, the interesting question, right, to pose to the regulators and Sam on this, and I mean, I'm beating the dead horse, is what does KYCing people who use the platform do to prevent scams? I, I mean, that's just how, how does KYCing somebody who wants to deposit into a DeFi protocol using a website stop scamming? I mean, yeah, really not sure. I mean, it, how, how does having everybody give their personal information when they check out at a grocery store stop people who steal from the grocery store? It's, it's just an incumbency to the legitimate users of an application. 
I mean, I'm sure if there were an easy way without an uproar to track every single person that spends every single thing. I mean, I think that's the dangerous, like that's the dystopian version of blockchain technology with CBDCs, not to get too, you know, I don't know, conspiratorial or too dark about it. But I I think if there's a way for them to track everything that was going on in the grocery store and then being able to see what every person is doing, then at least some countries would be interested in that. Well, now you're just talking about what China's already doing. I said some countries, Ray. <laughs> I don't think I'm welcome there already. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm going to be visiting anytime, uh, not soon, anyway. Yeah. So one of the ways that Y Foundry um, looked at combating all of this potential regulation com- coming forward is uh, that everything is open source um, and the web front end is can be deployed by anybody. So, you know, if there are legal changes and things have to be shut down or turned off or modified uh, for some people that they'll be able to be spun up and, and uh, run in, in friendlier jurisdictions elsewhere. So um, I saw there was a question from access amazing whatever uh it gets cut off at that point uh access amazing projects earlier and airdrops look i'm i'm calling you out um asking about uh the token for yfd um you know that that'll be determined later i when the code is done so i think it'll be i i think it was originally the project thought it would be in, in October, but I think it's going to be more in November now, obviously, as we're in the last days of October. So right now, uh, in terms of code development, uh, what's going on is uh, increased uh, functionality and, and uh, tweaking some of the stuff with the NFT part of the uh, profit sharing. So making sure we get that right out the gate so that it actually works. Unfortunately, like when you have this entire system that uh, may have a few moving parts that are novel or done from scratch and not used out of another code base, what basically is happening is that we're, is that, you know, things are having to be like developed and, and integrated together and tested thoroughly. So right now there's a lot of testing going on and then there's a lot of tweaking going on based on that testing as we find um, concepts and ideas that we want to make a little more firm. Uh, One of the things that, you know, to speak to this specifically to give some examples is like, uh, you know, before um, you could deposit any amount of the YFD token. If you want uh, YFD tokens in testing right now, they are available if you join that parrot's very excited. If you join the discord, um, for YFD, you can ask to be in the testing group. Uh, Marco's here. Marco is doing testing. So, uh, Marco can get you some tokens and you can start to play around with the, uh, ecosystem. But basically, uh, the way the protocol was working was that you could deposit any amount of YFD to lock YFD to get FYFD points that allow you to vote and allow you to contribute to um, uh, 
proposals to fund proposals and things like that. So the issue was, is that every time you lock, you set a lock time and that you, know, you set an unlock block when you'll get those tokens back. So they'll trickle back out every block. You'll be able to reclaim part of the tokens you locked up until that uh, unlock block. Well, in the current implementation or the past implementation, I should say, you could deposit one, uh, what would be one millionth of a YFD token at an unlock block and then receive you know, the equivalent uh, FYFD token, which is essentially nothing. Well, we found that possibly it could have been an attack vector to allow people to, to, to contribute uh, minuscule amounts of YFD because you could essentially lock, uh, to lock one YFD, you could have made 10, 000, or 100,000 entries into the deposit contract, which is extremely excessive. It's like an edge case, but we know how Web3 has a massive amount of trolls and people who just do stuff for the lulls. So we ended up implementing a governance uh, parameter that allows the DAO to set what the minimum amount of YFD that can be locked at a single instance can be. And I think we're going to settle on that being 1,000 YFD um, in a single deposit. And that way, there it will reduce the amount of entries in the database uh, and uh, keep the attack vector of somebody just spamming tiny little uh, deposits from jamming up uh, the record keeping on chain. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you, you think about it, but then you don't like actually think about it practically. And then when you implement it and you start testing, it, you go, well, this could be something that, you know, is pretty easy to cut, to be a, a problem if somebody w wants to be a complete pain in the ass. So we'll just add a little bit of an extra feature. So it's just kind of those polish type things that we're working through right now to make sure that, you know, any of these low hanging lulls uh, that we're seeing, you know, act out in governance and all these other platforms. I mean, Luna Terra too, right, has had over almost 3,000 proposals in a couple of months. And I think the majority of them are, are junk, right? I mean, they're all scams. So cutting out some of that uh, access, and you know, and that's what a scam, the scams uh, require $1,000 worth of Luna, I think, to be deposited, 502 Luna or something, 500 Luna. So it's it's pretty incredible to see that many uh, scams going forward with that much Luna deposited. And, so, and all of them aren't, uh, I should say, not all of them have been deposited, but they're just jamming up the queue uh, pre-deposit. So it's it's interesting to look at what, what is happening in other governance uh, areas in the cosmos and then trying to figure out how to uh, mitigate some of that bad behavior so it's not replicated in Yield Foundry. Yeah, I think mitigating it without being overly restrictive to, you know, people who want to come in, you, know, you don't want to just, in my, you don't want to just say, okay, well, you've got minimum $20,000 worth of whatever ecosystem token um, to be able to um, participate, you know, with, I mean, that's just kind of not what we're about. Um, not what YFD is about, you know, with the potential to fund 
anyone to come in to fund strategies, get get buy-in. Um, so yeah, it's challenging for sure. I think this is just like building a series, a suite of tools that, you know, options that you can use, and then it will adapt and evolve as more primitives come online. You know, as you have more options for managing digital identity or some sort of verification, that sort of uh, consensus consensus options. Uh, getting yeah. choked up. <laughs> I take a glass of water or a shot of whiskey or whatever. You're in Tennessee. Uh, yeah, you're in yeah Tennessee. So, um, bourbon, I guess. No, it's Kentucky. Anyway, um, yeah, and we're not restricting. I should say we're the the protocol isn't restricting these things to hard coded values. They're actually becoming dynamic governance parameters that the DAO itself is able to set. So they'll initially be set to some value, but the DAO itself can look at the ecosystem. You know, maybe they say, well, this doesn't make sense. Uh, it's too much. It's too little. And then without having to go and update new contracts, the DAO itself will be able to modify these governance parameters through a, through a governance vote and change the value. So if let's say at launch, it becomes 10,000 YFD to uh, a minimum locking uh, deposit. If the DAO says, well, you know, we're talking in the discord and people say we only want to deposit a hundred or a thousand and that's more reasonable, then the DAO can go ahead and, and vote to change that. And uh, when that change takes place, then um, the UI and the, the contracts will accept smaller amounts or larger amounts of YFD, whatever that changed value is. Um, really what we wanted to do is look at these contracts and say, what, what's immutable, right? What is immutable are the framework, are the rails? And then what is flexible are the values at which the, the distance at which the rails are set apart or how close they're set together. So we're, you know, essentially in, in working through the code, what we're looking to do is actually just secure the rails as they exist. And then the DAO itself decides the distance those rails will be together or separated. Yeah, absolutely. Have we somehow talked for an entire hour? We did. Time flies when you're talking about decentralized governance. Isn't that the phrase? I think so. Um, yeah. Does anybody have any questions? I, I can go into a, a few more things that we've been playing around with uh, in the last uh, week or so since our last space, but um, happy to take any questions. Challenging questions are the best too, by the way. I would love to have somebody ask something hard. All right. Well, if nobody else wants to ask anything, I'll leave um, everybody with one piece that I don't know if we've necessarily covered this uh, publicly. I know I've talked about this in other spaces. I've been in a lot of spaces now talking about uh, YFD and, and some of the contract shapes and things like that and the formation of it. So one of the features that we did when we, uh, or we did when the architecture was happening was thinking about how do you protect the investor's money 
in an initial proposal situation where there's a strategist that asks for $100,000 to produce a vault and they're going to pay it out to a developer. Well, you have three tiers of people participating in the system. You have the strategist who does the proposal and provides some initial funding. You have the boosters who are the community members who are providing the majority of the funding in exchange for some sort of profit uh, or revenue sharing at the end. And then you have the developer um, or the entity that's actually doing the development and taking the money out of the funds that are contributed by the strategist and the boosters, right? And so the thing you had to think about is you have these three tiers operating, these three interests in this protocol, uh, in this proposal. No, the birds are just loving it today. Um, and anyway, so you could have collusion between the strategist and the developer. They could say, hey, we can fleece these boosters out of all of their money or a lot of their money. And so one thing, you know, they could do that by saying, well, the initial payment would be, let's say there was $100,000 to fund this proposal. And the initial payment to the developer is $50,000 and the developer and the strategists agree that they're gonna take that $50,000 and split it 50-50 or, or whatever. So the way we looked at the contract structure and the payment structure was to say, if the strategist, the strategist can only make an initial payment to the developer for work on developing the contracts that is equal to or less than the amount the strategist themselves put in. So because the strategist is the one proposing the developer, obviously the developer already needs to be whitelisted by the community. So they're not completely random and unknown to the boosters. The boosters have, uh, or at least a section of the boosters, depending on when the boosters joined, you know, they already vetted the developer to whatever degree they needed to feel comfortable. But what the, what the mechanisms for the proposal funding do now is they only allow the initial funds that are less than or equal to what the strategist put in to be deployed to the developer without a vote by the boosters, by the community members who actually funded it. So what that means is if there's a $100,000 proposal, the strategist needs to put up a minimum of 5%. So let's say they put up 10%, let's say they put up $10,000. The initial funding, that goes to the developer could not exceed that $10,000 contribution from the strategist. That means that if, you know, it, it, I think it essentially de-incentivizes de any motivation to rug a, a strategy with a fake proposal because the strategist would only be spending their own money. And so essentially if the, let's say that went through, uh, they passed the proposal, the $10,000 goes to the developer, and then they come up to the first milestone, which would be maybe, let's say, another $10,000. At that point, the strategists themselves, sorry, the strategists and the boosters would be issued a vote token for the disbursement of the funds. And then they would decide whether or not to disperse those funds at that point. So if the developer provides content that satisfies the, the funders to feel like they're actually getting you know, progress and their money's worth, for it, then they can release those funds. But if the developer ghosts them, doesn't produce anything, has, uh, oh, we're way behind, you know, the, the members of the booster and the strategist can say, okay, well, we'll wait. 
So when you actually produce the first milestone, if it's another week, two weeks, one month, whatever in the future, then the boosters can release the milestone by using those tokens to vote uh, yes and release it. Otherwise, they can just sit on them and wait for the developers to actually produce content or um, they can go to the entire community again and say, hey, look, this developer isn't working out. Um, it's been a mistake. You know, we just want to get the money back. And the community itself can enact what is called a uh, cancellation proposal. And it will cancel the approved proposal and refund all of the funds that are still sitting in the proposal back to the original depositors. I think we've accounted for every... Well, I shouldn't say every scenario, but I think we've accounted for essentially the major scenarios that could occur. Developer goes rogue, strategist goes rogue. Um, can can the boosters get their money back? And the answer is yes. Any thoughts or questions on that? Otherwise, that's where I'm happy to leave stuff. That's pretty sweet that you figured it all out, how to uh, get it implemented like that. Yeah, I mean, this is eating the code elephant one bite at a time, essentially. Um, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing that we're focused on now, in addition to that, is from the overall Boulay's side, is making sure that, you know, talk about, like, how can we prevent some of this stuff, not only to prevent the scams, but also just to, like, being mindful of people's attention and that sort of spamming the proposal process, what, what happens to, you know, the valid proposals that are hidden somewhere in there? Like how can we maximize attention and engagement on those things that matter as opposed to all of the swirl of just bull crap that ends up clogging up the works, even if scams are successful, you know, you've got this like, tons of extra proposals and things like that and chatter that's just gumming up what's actually important the actual legitimate value add yeah and and having all this stuff on chain you don't even need a ui to do it you can interact with it directly um so the thing that it's been you know we're we're behind schedule in the sense but schedule is optimistic obviously uh there's some things we're working to translate, but but putting all of these queries, all of this functionality, explaining it all in documentation is what I'm working on right now to get this to a level that, you know, anybody can write. Um, so we're talking about, we I think we've announced some of the partnerships that are coming up, Crash with uh, other projects. So we've got an AMA coming up this week. Um, but basically allowing these other projects to have the the technical documentation at launch to be able to integrate um, their portions of, you know, YFD into their own community websites. So you, they don't even have to funnel people to YFD's website. They can use YFD vaults, YFD proposals, YFD uh, technology infrastructure to have a trustless, you know, funding system that uses our, uh, or that uses the YFD architecture, but can be integrated into their community uh, and their community interfaces. Yeah, absolutely. And look for more information there. We've got another upcoming space. Um, check it out, set the reminder. 
that's coming up in a couple of days with um, DPEG Nation to talk a little bit about that partnership there in particular. And then we've got some more that will be shortly following, uh, probably another one next week, later in the week. <clears throat> and then, uh, yeah, one or two a week for the next few weeks, um, more than likely we'll have spaces set up to you know, kind of introduce specifically what the partnership looks like for each you know, kind of community, give the opportunity to have just an AMA for both parties with both communities to ask questions about, you know, what's going on and some of the details. Um, so it's very exciting, exciting to be here. I know it does take longer, especially when you're building, like Ray had said earlier, something that, you know, isn't, has a, isn't a copy paste, you know, sort of fork. It's something very different as far as how it handles and what what's being worked out it requires a lot of testing um so get into the discord join the um join yfd do some testing yourself if you're not already in there um reach out to marco the armor he's right on here he'll equip you with all of the test yfd tokens to be able to test things properly and just get a feel for how it works um at the very least and we'd love to have you in there and continue asking the difficult questions challenging you know what's going on and i think that's the sort of that that's the sort of uh you know environment that will temper this into something great you know it will continue to evolve you know and just get better and better over time as we get you know bigger brains than myself in there asking those questions and working out all these details and providing additional options and tools in the toolkit yeah so i look forward to seeing in the discord or hit us up on twitter or in the next Twitter space, the AMA coming up this week. So thanks, everybody. Yep. Thanks a lot. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Y Foundry DAO Weekly, Building in Web 3, recorded on Sunday, October 30th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to terraspaces.org slash donate and show some support. When we blow through the dust, volcanoes erupt. No one ever guessed that the game would be tough. Keep it hands off when the play is a bust. Plain old and just, so we keep it on the one. Blast off on the two. Help me see the three. Third eye open wide, checking out the scene. Razor beam focused, star screen jokers. Living off the fat of the people they approach. Tell me what happens when the land fights back with the Clips at our backs make the last stand matter. No one ever planned for the famine on deck. We was walking all erect with the dead man swagger. Sitting in a little den, vision in the middle men. Listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty then. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian. Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble billion. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian. Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble billion. Little Dan envisioning the middle men Listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next No one gave a shit till the drugs all dried up Everybody died from a bad batch of Lysol But it didn't matter we was all hyped up When the pedal lit the metal he just didn't have the right skill Watched in the daytime till the night curfew Rats in a cage till they make time to murk you Got a little 
job that falls under my purview We gotta get this mob away from the bird's view Gotta find cover, wipe off the bird poop Ride off the work while you try on the worst juice Blinded by perps who try to reverse truth Slide like Fox News just trying to lie to you Eating up the slop like a bunch of hungry vagrants I can't wait for the day they lock us up in stasis Mock up a basement, could call me resilient Waiting for the internet to make me a b-b-b-billion In the middle men Listen to the fiddle man Play a little ditty then Talk about how While the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze Trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Talk about how While the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze Trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Channel Spaces <laughs>